Grab your Bibles with me and turn to the letter of Ephesians. We're in chapter 6 today. Uh, we continue through this great letter together uh, today into verses 5 through 8. I want to read our passage and jump right in. Much to cover in Paul's exhortations in this part of the letter. Ephesians 6, 5 through 8. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether it be whether he is a bondservant or is free. Let's first start by asking, what is a bondservant? This is a word we don't use a lot in our common day vernacular, and so it would be good to slow and just ask that question. The English word we read here for bondservant in the Greek is the word doulos, which if you've been walking with us for any amount of time, you know what that Greek word means. It means a slave. A slave is one who gives himself to another's will. The life of a slave is one of devotion and service to another to the disregard of their own interest. I don't do what I want to do. I do what my master tells me to do. Now, to have a right context for this, we must understand how normal slavery was in the first century, uh, under the, especially under the rule and policies of the Roman Empire in the context of when this was written. Slaves at that time were said to have made up one-third to one-half of the entire population. Think about that. So the fact that Paul is now including counsel to those who live to serve others is very warranted. Why? Because much of the audience he's writing to likely are slaves. Christians in the region of Ephesus who, by God's decree, have been given saving faith, but by their horizontal reality uh, are slaves and, and in that position of service. What we must realize, though, is that the life of a slave at that time was very different than often what you and I may think of when we think of slavery. Slaves filled a variety of roles and influence in that day, in some ways similar to how our economy works with employees and, and, and employment services um, of a varied kind, that we honor the wishes of our boss as employees. A slave could have a wide variety of skill sets and was called to a wide variety of different tasks. It's helpful to know that human slavery has had very different forms in different eras and in different cultures. And so uh, it's, it would be helpful for me to slow and give us a quick insight into a little bit of that variance in the different forms of slavery in our history. And I'll give you just four uh, to help us have a little bit of context. The first is Hebrew 
servanthood. Hebrew servanthood was basically a provision for the Israelites who were so poor that to make a living, they could sell themselves into servanthood to provide for their families. Leviticus 25, 39 through 40 speaks of this in Scripture. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired servant, as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. What we have here is the selling of oneself to the authority of another for God-honoring labor in order to provide for one's family. We also later in the timeline have uh, Greco-Roman slavery. That's the context of the passage that we're in now in the New Testament, where we see an entirely different culture and practice of slavery. Again, some estimate as many as one-third to one-half of the culture uh, in New Testament times lived as slaves. What this means is the activity of slavery was linked to the very framework of society in a massive way. the route of the profession of teachers, craftsmen, tradesmen, laborers was often connected to slavery. Even those who were slaves might have even owned or managed slaves themselves. It was so regular. In other words, this was in many ways how labor was negotiated in that time. Not only was it humane, but for many of these people it was greatly helpful. Um, Do we have sinful applications of how people would misuse authority? Absolutely. We'll get into more of that next week. A third example, when we fast forward to the 18th century in British and American colonialism, is indentured servitude. And this is essentially a voluntary labor system where people paid for passage to the new world by contractually agreeing to work for an employer for a certain number of years. You get me to the new world, I'll work for you for a certain number of years, and then have my freedom to go do what I'm going to do. American migrants came to this country this way from a variety of countries and cultures. The employer purchased the indenture from the sea captain who brought them over by ship because he needed labor in the new world. People would work for a fixed number of years and then be free to work on their own. Some worked as farmers, helpers, farm wives, apprentices, Uh, craftsmen, you name it. Both sides were legally obligated to meet the terms of this arrangement, and it was enforced by local American courts. And then finally we get to maybe what most of us think of when we think of slavery, because it's the most recent and it's the most atrocious, and that's the African slave trade that we see in the 17th, 18th, and specifically in the 19th century whereby millions of Africans were literally stolen or manipulated, deceived, sold into slavery into British and American cultures through cruel, inhumane conditions that caused many to not even survive the trip. Upon being sold into slavery, they were subjected to harsh working and living conditions by which unspeakable atrocities would occur. Death, rape, abuse, disfigurement, starvation, exhaustion, and more. Sin at work in stone-cold, ruthless hearts of men caused them to prey on, degrade, and even destroy 
people made in the image of God. Other members of the same human race were treated like animals or vermin. And clearly this is sin at work. While forms of slavery were permitted in different generations of those who came before us, we who belong to Christ must have a God-honoring Christian worldview when it comes to these things. For we are all created in God's image and are of equal value and deserve equal dignity. Both the born and the preborn of every ethnicity, group, and social class, rich or poor, intelligent or slow, God's are God's creation made in His image. God's people need to show love and respect for all created in the image of God and not let any sinful selfishness or pride cause us to look down on another or treat another as a lesser person because of any perceived differences. That said, even though it is not popular among a growingly progressive heathen culture, hierarchy in authority of one over another is a good design of God in this creation and made clear in many situations uh, and therefore is to be honored and obeyed as God has commanded it. Um, We'll get into more of this in a bit. For those of you thinking, okay, how does this pertain to me? Well, for us as Christians, we need to have a better grasp of the life of servanthood because the very life of Christ, the very life of one with Christ, is one as a servant of Christ. A right reading of Scripture shows that one of the central identities we have as Christians is the joy to be Christ's slave. One of the cool ways we see this is in addition to the name Christian, the Bible uses a host of other terms to name followers of Jesus. Beloved, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the chosen, the church, disciples, the elect, friends, heirs, household of God, saints, sheep, sons of God, and more. All of these descriptions, each in its own way, help us to understand what it means to be a Christian. The New Testament uses one metaphor entitled more frequently than any of the ones I just mentioned. It is one you might not expect, but it is critical that we as Christ followers understand what it is. It is the title slave. The New Testament understands understanding of a believer's relationship to Christ is one that he is master and owner and we are his possession. He is king. He is Lord, the Son of God. We are his subjects, his subordinates. In a word, we are his slaves. We see people like the Apostle Paul and others cherish in their writings to refer to themselves as a joyful slave of Christ. Pastor MacArthur, John MacArthur says it well. True Christianity is not about adding Jesus to my life. Instead, it is about devoting myself completely to Him, submitting wholly to His will, and seeking to please Him above all else. It demands dying to self and following the Master, no matter what the cost. In other words, to be a Christian is to be Christ's slave. Now, the use of the word doulos, slave or bondservant, that we see here in this passage is 
is not referencing our role as a Christ follower, but those who are literally in the current role or lot of life of being a slave to another human. Over the years, many have questioned why this instruction is even in Scripture, as it seems to endorse slavery by its mere inclusion. And so we have to think biblically about these things. First, we must again remember that not all servitude is the same. So we got to be really careful whenever the, a, a word's used. It's not, it's not necessarily meaning the thing that people are perpetuating it to mean. So we've got to have a clear understanding of that. But second, Paul neither condemns nor, nor commends the activity of slavery here in this passage, but instead focuses on the heart of the one enslaved and their opportunity and duty to honor God in their service to their earthly masters. Pastor Sinclair Ferguson says it well, speaking of this. Paul operated under the deep conviction that social and personal condition were not the primary issue of life, but instead fellowship with God, freedom from sin, transformation into Christ-likeness, and the advancement of the kingdom of God. These were his central concerns. The gospel works anywhere. Nothing can hinder it, not physical imprisonment, which Paul is experiencing in the very moment he's writing this. You see that. Paul is unjustly imprisoned as he's writing this letter. His focus is not on that circumstance as much as it's on the heart and activity of faithfulness of the believer. Nothing can hinder the gospel, not physical imprisonment, which Paul was experiencing that very moment, as mentioned in Ephesians 3.1 and 4.1, or the social chains of slavery, which undoubtedly some of his Christian hearers knew firsthand as they read this letter. So what we have here is Paul speaking of how the gospel impacts and moves mightily in an arena of life that is often unacceptable or even unjust. But realize with me that all of us who are under another, whether a parent, whether a husband, whether a boss, whether a coach, a teacher, an elder, a government official, we can glean from Paul's instruction here his good and godly counsel in this passage as to how we submit to authority. So let's all lean in. Let's, let's see that the Lord has something in store for each of us today as we look to submit ourselves to the authority of His Word. Let me remind you that all Scripture, including this part of Ephesians 6, is breathed out by God and therefore profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Amen? That's 2 Timothy 3.16. Now, as we dig into Paul's instruction here, the first main point is that we are to obey the authority above us, whatever it might be. 
We are to do this so well that we are to do it with fear and trembling. But look at me real quick. You're called to obedience, but to do it so well that you obey with fear and trembling. Let's dive into these three layers. First, obedience. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Christian, slow with me to see that God has saved us from a life of disobedience so that we can live in Christ a life of obedience. That obedience is good and God-honoring. While our sinful flesh doesn't like obedience, obedience is a good and righteous thing that honors God. The word for obey here is the same word we see Paul use in Ephesians 6 1. Children, you've memorized this verse. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. <clears throat> and, and another reference, a different form of the same word used when Paul speaks of the role of the wife under the headship of the husband, when he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord in Ephesians 5.22. Wives, honor and obey your husbands as to the Lord. This is the basis for Paul's emphasis of instruction for Christian living in this entire section of the letter that he's writing. His teaching is that one of the major ways we honor Christ with our lives is to properly submit to authority authority he places over us in its different forms obedience to authority is not to be ultimately done for horizontal gain or benefits but to honor god children obey their parents wives submit to their husbands employees obey their bosses because in the moral design and order of god it is the right thing to do even when you don't like the authority over you. Even when you don't like the decisions they make. You don't like how the boss is running the company or deciding to lead that particular effort in the organization. You don't like the direction they take. You don't like the way they do it. But you are to honor and obey them. For that is their role and this is yours. This is God's good command on us. Realize that the success of the direction that is taken in that effort, whatever context it may be, is not up to you as the subordinate to fix, to redirect, or to decide. It's improper. How it turns out will be the accountability on the one with the authority. Let God be the judge of that. What we are to do in our roles of, as a subordinate is to submit and to obey and to do that for the glory of the Lord. How well the assignment is done or how well we do it according to how we've been asked to do it is our responsibility. The responsibility of the person who's under authority. Church, there are a lot of times when our flesh just wants it to go our way. 
But we must see that this is the work of our sinful flesh. Right? I mean, sometimes I think we see it most clearly in a, in a toddler who has no filter. The toddler is told it's not going to go their way. And so they literally kick and scream and throw a fit. Because there's just no filter. But, but we have to see that this is the way our sin plays. And though we're maybe good at filters, it, it's still our sin at work. We must see that this is the work of our sinful flesh. For those of us who belong to Christ, we do not what our flesh wants. We want what God has instructed us to do. Why? Because I belong to Him. So when the issue at hand or what you're being asked to do by the person in authority over you, when that instruction is given, as a Christ follower, you do it. And you do it well. And you do it emphatically. And you do it the way you're being asked to do it. And you do it without complaint. Do you realize that if you're an employee of a boss and you don't do all those things, you lose your job, right? So why is it we see it in that context so clearly, but in other contexts, we want to bucket and, and push back? The principle of God's assignment on us is the same. But if you're tempted to say, I don't like to not be in control, I, I, do, I like to do things my way and not other people's way, you need to see your beef in that moment is not with the person in authority over you. It's, it's with the economy that God has put in place for you to live in. Your issues with Him. Paul's commendation for slaves to obey their masters is not at all an endorsement of slavery. It's a command of the way that God wants us to act that glorifies Him despite our circumstances. Church, we must see this because we are too often guilty of pushing back because it's not the way we want it. But this cannot be. If this does not honor God, that seeks to honor ourself. We who belong to Christ do not belong to ourselves any longer. We belong to Christ. And therefore we are committed to do what honors Him. Let me give an extra clarity here that needs to constantly be said. I said it to the wives. I said it to the children. And I'll say it to all to whom it applies here as well. We are never to submit or obey directives of authority over us if those are called to sin. We're not to obey commands that are sinful. Why? Because we would then dishonor God and His commands on us. Our first priority, our ultimate priority, is to honor the Lord and obey God. So we do not honor or obey orders or commands from other authorities that go against God's clear commands on us. Examples of this is we don't submit to state orders about how we are to worship or not worship. Those things don't belong to the state. They belong to God. 
we do we do not do something illegal for our bosses because we really want to keep our jobs no we don't do what's illegal even if it means we lose our jobs because we honor god we don't work for our employers in such a way that takes away from our God-given priorities like family or church. Well, my boss is telling me I have to do this, but your Lord has told you these other things are priorities in your life. These are important things we need to slow and do business with. Before moving on, I will say that it is my true prayer that we are growingly, a growingly obedient people. That obedience to God is something important to us. That obedience to the authorities He puts over us is something that's important to us because we know that it honors the Lord. Back to verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Fear, the word fear here is phobos. It's where we get our English word, phobia. You have a phobia of something, right? Insert whatever the something is, right? Some of us have some weird phobias. Now, this word can mean a variety of things. It can mean, phobos can mean a loving reverence, that kind of fear, or a frightful terror. Here, it is, its meaning is similar to what Paul has said in Ephesians chapter 5, 20 through 21, which says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That word reverence right there is the word phobos. So, out of fear for Christ, reverence for Christ. It's the same Greek word. It's, it's the same word we see Paul using when commending wives to their husbands in Ephesians 5.33. Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That word respects there is the Greek word phobos. Fear, reverence, respect. All the same word. In other words, we submit to others, to those God who has put over us, out of reverence to Christ. Out of righteous fear and respect. Notice that Paul adds another layer here when he says, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Not only righteous fear, but trembling. This is the phrase he uses when speaking to Christians in general in Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So the part of us that wants to read fear and trembling in this context and think of bad things we need to constantly see in how these words are used in Scripture that these are good things. These are righteous things. There's a righteousness. There's a fervor. There's a reverence here. That, that is what is being spoken of. N not terror, right? 
or when he instructs the, Christ, the Corinthian church on how they are to receive Titus in his second letter to them, 2 Corinthians 7, 15. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. In this, Paul is saying to believers in the region of Ephesus that they are to obey their masters, their bosses, those in authority over them with fear and trembling, with high reverence and respect. So this is not something we are to do lightly. There's an emphasis, meaning you don't get to just barely do it. You need to do it really well. That's the Lord's call on your life, Christian. To see it as good. To want what He wants for you in this. Now, respect and reverence that mirrors the respect and reverence that you show to God, we need to see that this is Christ's work in us. We know this is Paul's emphasis because of what he says next in, in verse 5. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. We do this because it is the Christian way. If you belong to Christ, you will act in a way that shows others, that, res- that respects others in the same way you live for and respect Christ. There's not a differentiation there. Why? Because it is who you are as a Christian. If you belong to Christ, then it's not about what you want anymore. That was your being dead in sin. It's not about even what the person deserves. It's about who Christ is in and through you. Here Paul's emphasis on a sincere heart. We do not obey begrudgingly. We do not hear about what our boss wants or the authority above us, what they want, and then begrudgingly do it. We do not give attitude or complaint. We do it well. We do it honestly with a sincere heart. Do you see how if you have a sincere heart, there's no room to fake it? You can't just do it and hate it. That's not a sincere heart. Why? Why is this important? Why is that layer so important? Because this is how you honor God and make much of Christ in what you do. Christian, your labor for your boss. Athlete, you're playing for your coach. Wives, your submission to your husband. Kids, your obedience to your parents. Church, you're submitting to your elders. Citizen, you're honoring those in authority over you in local and state government. Is to be one with fear and trembling as if you would do it unto Christ as if Christ was the one who asked you directly to do it. You don't do it superficially. 
while deep down inside you groan and complain and argue or delay. You do it well. You do it with a sincerity of heart. Why is this internal layer asked of us? Because it is the part that honors God the most. Think about that with me for a moment. Others don't necessarily see your heart, but God does. Why is this internal layer asked of us? Because it honors God the most. It is the part of you by which God knows more than anyone else knows. Christian, how often are you guilty of doing the right thing for the wrong reasons? Do you realize when you do it that way, you do not honor God? You are actually sinning. It is hypocrisy. God wants us to be upright and honorable in our heart and our deeds. Listen to the heart of Jesus as he rebukes the Pharisees, very accomplished, very known, very respected men in their community, for this very practice. Matthew 22, 25-28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee! First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within you are full of a dead people's bones and of uncleanliness. <coughs> so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy, and lawlessness. When Christ is at the helm of our hearts, we honor Him. And others who are over us, whether we like it or not, we fight our flesh to live out of the Spirit. We set aside our fleshly desire and we put on the Spirit's desire. Whether we like how we're being led or not, we honor them with fear and trembling. And the Spirit at work in us means that we do it with a sincere heart as unto the Lord. So I just ask, is this you? Is this your personal testimony in public? Among your brethren? and even in private. If it only applies in some circles, but not in others, then you are a hypocrite. His words, not mine. Either this is who you are, or it's not. The fact that you are good at wearing a mask or putting on a facade in certain situations is a real problem of sin and pride. And in all the layers that this might be applying to you and to all of us in different ways across the room, 
I've been my deep prayer the Lord would mightily go to work in sanctifying and maturing us in this area today, church. God doesn't want showmanship. He wants you to be obedient to those who are over you with a sincerity in your heart and to do it as you would obey Christ himself. So pause and take an account this morning, brother, sister. When you think about those whom God has put over you, those whom you are to honor and obey, do you honor and obey them truly and fully as unto the Lord? Christian, this is life in Christ. Listen to Colossians 3, 23-24. Whatever you do, whatever you do, that's a, that's a pretty inclusive statement. Let it soak in for a minute. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord, not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Every day God gives us in the here and now, we are to live for Him. Why? Because we belong to Him. Because He is the one who gives us all of our means, our mind capacities, our opportunities to live and to do what we do. How many of these moments are you literally throwing away, these God-ordained moments for you to show your reverence and your love for Him because you're throwing away these moments in those He puts before you who are in authority over you and therefore throwing in the trash the very days He's given you to display who He is and who He is to you. The gospel testimony in these things. Romans 1.6 basically says the heart of Christianity is to belong to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20, you do not belong to yourself for God bought you with the high price, so you must honor God with your life. Christian, we must fight our flesh, which wants nothing more than to rule and reign itself. When the flesh rules and reigns itself, that is hell. See the damned reality of that. That's, that's death. The lie that's told you is that it's sweet. The fruit tastes good. The pleasure will be so wonderful. But it's death. It's prison. True life is found when we die to ourselves and we live to Christ. I pray it be so. Now let's look at the added clarity Paul gives us in verse 6. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. In other words, we don't obey the authority over us ultimately for them. If you're doing it for them, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. We do it ultimately for Christ. 
This helps you when your motivation to see them succeed is not very high. Or you're kind of playing that game. You're like, man, I don't really want to do this for you. I don't really feel like you deserve it. Do you realize in that moment what you're thinking about is the wrong reason why you would do it at all? We're not to do it for them. We're to do it for him, for the Lord. We don't do it for eye service that people would see us. We don't do it as people pleasers. This is another layer of the aim for why we obey. Another way to say we don't do the right thing for the wrong reasons. And this is real for all of us. In our sin, we, maybe you're guilty of working poorly, giving a half effort, even slacking off when no one's around to see you. Slacking off from what's being asked of you. But in a form of sinful deception, you give the impression to others that you're working hard. That you're getting it done. See with me the inauthenticity of this. See with me the hypocrisy of it. This is sinful deception. Christian, can I ask you to go a step further? If you know there's areas in your life where you are perpetuating deception, stop everything else and go no further until you've dealt with that. Because to think that somehow you're honoring the Lord in any other area while that happens, the whole thing's a lie. This is how we take true account of what this is saying to us. This is how we don't just hear the word this morning, take a little crumb off the burger and then go about it. We, We need to take this in, church. We need to let it conform us and let it conflict us and let it move us under righteousness. If you're feeling like this is hard, can I just remind you, this is God loving you. Why? Because to not go here is to not love you. It's to leave you in hypocrisy. To leave you in deception. Oh God, you are good and your word is good for us. Amen? I've always loved Paul's words to Timothy. The passage that means a lot to me for a number of reasons. I won't get into all that. 2 Timothy 2, 4. says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Church, our motivation in what we do and how we do it needs to be to honor the Lord above all else. We need to always be mindful to not make our service or our work about the horizontal, but about the Lord. The aim of our actions and our words needs to truly be unto the Lord. Always. And if I'm not ready to do that, then let's just stop and not do it until we're ready. Let's be accountable so that when we step, we step in a way that is for Him. Galatians 1.10 for I am now seeking the approval. I'm sorry. Let me, let me put inflection on my words. 
properly. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see how in Paul's mind, they they don't go together. This isn't a, a combo sandwich. It's one or the other. The aim by which I do this is for him or it's not. Christian, slow to take inventory here. How do you concern yourself only with what others will think about what you've been asked to do? See with me that if that's all you're thinking about, that's fleshly obedience. Again, sin is doing the wrong thing, but sin is also doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. The proper heart of why we work hard and honest and efficiently is that it glorifies the Lord. To make it only about keeping the authority above us happy or earning a paycheck, or keeping our position, or gaining a benefit, then we have simply made our labor about us. And this creation, and not the Creator, for which all things are due. This is Paul's emphasis as he continues in the rest of verse 6 and 7. He says, but as bondservants of Christ, here's our reference that we are slaves of Christ. Do you see it? He's talking to Christians who happen to be slaves in a horizontal way, but now he's mentioning that because they belong to Christ, they're also slaves of Christ. We do the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. The motivation of our doing, of our living, of our serving, must be from the heart. Why? 1 Samuel 6, 7, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. True obedience that honors God must come from within, from within the soul. If not, it's only outward. Then it's only a facade. It's only a show. But that's sinful deception. That's not authenticity. Church, we are to do the will of the Lord from the heart. Often our work in this life is very hard. Often those we have to honor and obey are hard to follow. We need to seek God's will for us is to be faithful in these things and not just doing outward action that's not from the heart. It needs to be from the heart so that we are glorifying God in it. I love Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
Are you in a situation whereby the command of the Lord on you is to submit to an authority over you, whether it be a parent, a husband, a boss, a leader, where it's hard, where it's taxing? In some ways, it might even feel unrelenting. If this is you, then hear Paul's words and let them go to work in you. He says, my beloved, be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. These days you endure doing the hard things you're being asked, even when you don't like it, as unto the Lord is not in vain. God is at work in it. You do this by faith. Doesn't add up. But you don't not do it because it doesn't add up. That would be to live by sight. No, you do it by faith. And you know that the Lord is at work and therefore it will not be in vain. Amen? Gosh, we got to see that. Christian, never lose sight of the fact that these days we live in, in the here and now, they're not ours. They belong to the Lord. We wake up, we work, we suffer for His glory, not our own. I love verse 7 because the whole character of obedience of the one under another's authority is essentially recapped and or summed up in verse 7. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. See with me that this applies to children in relationship to their parents, the wife in relationship to her husband, the employee in relationship to the employer, the people in relationship to the magistrates. Those who are under another need to never forget that those given lawful authority are appointed so by the Lord, whether we like them or not, whether they're good at their job or not. Whether they lead well or not. There is a principle of respect and obedience that must be given to them as long as what they call for does not cause disobedience to God and his commands on us. Are you guilty of disrespecting people in authority over you? how you talk about them. This shouldn't happen. There needs to be respect. Can you call out what is sinful or wicked? Sure. You have to. be on the field in all things? No, not if it's what's being done is unto sin. There there is a a disconnecting we do, but there still needs to be respect and a reverence for the authority that God has ordained above you. And if not, then there's something going on in the heart that's missing the point. 
We need to see that it is sin when our hearts are proud or rebellious to God-given authorities. There is no circumstance or excuse by which we thwart or avoid this fundamental design of God and command of God. Christian, you must see that this is not a weight put on you that you are to carry in your own power because you can't. Left to yourself, you will not do this well. You will not do it with true motivation. You will not do it with consistency. If you are tired because you're not doing this well, maybe because it's, you're trying to do it of yourself and not of Christ. You, your flesh just will not produce what is needed. You will be guilty of making excuses, of delaying, of doing what is needed, but not from a heart that truly honors God. No, we are desperate for the only one who can empower us to do this well and in a lasting way, Christ himself. And so Paul says it so well, just let this wash over you, the depth, the fullness of it. Philippians 2, 3 through 11. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The mind that does this is only going to work if it's in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Some of you are going, this call on my life feels hard. It feels maybe lifelong. Hopefully none of us are guilty of saying it feels farther than what Christ did. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Many of you are going through some really hard stuff. Legit suffering, legit struggle. Blessed to get to preach the word in front of a couple hundred of my brothers in the motorcycle club. We all gathered yesterday on the West Coast and said to them something I'll remind you of. Whatever we're going through that we call suffering and hardship, doesn't look at all yet like what those who came before us went through. Christ most of all, but the faithful brothers and sisters who came before us, 
here's how I know. How many among our own ranks have died for their obedience to God or their faith in Him, their testimony of Him? How, how many of us are being imprisoned? Right? I mean, th there are layers. How many of us have been dragged out in the street and beaten? Okay? So, church, we got a ways to go before we're even going back to the way it was. And Scripture says it's actually going to get a lot harder. So, so we need to be in here so that we are readied to suffer rightly, fully, consistently, in a steadfast way to endure, to finish the race, to have been proven true, to have, to, to have done it for the glory of God and not for something that it gained us in the meantime. Why did Jesus do this? God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's why we do it too, for the glory of God the Father, for the glory of our, our risen Lord. That's why we live. It's why we wake. It's why we eat. It's why we work. It's why we raise kids. It's why we do what we do. Jesus shows that we can't go forth without Christ at the helm. We must take his representation on us. We must take his power on us so that we can do what glorifies God. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is your soul not at rest? It's because your yoke is not connected to Christ, because when it is, you will know peace and rest, even in the midst of great struggle. What he's promising there is not come to me and, and your life will get easy. That's prosperity gospel. How do we know that's not what he's saying there? Because of everything else he said about what it is to be a Christian. But instead, that in the midst of that hardship, in the midst of that labor, a lifelong journey, there is a peace we find, a rest we find in Christ. In this, Jesus is not saying, don't do the work that you're being asked to do. Don't not do the work you're being asked to do. He's saying, as you labor, as you obey, rest in me. Not in your circumstances. As you go forth, do it in my power, not in your own. Only in Christ do we know peace and find rest in the suffering and injustice of this life. Remember, Christian, Jesus didn't die on the cross to save you from the cross. He died on the cross to save you from hell. But his command on you as his servant, as his slave, as a Christian, is that you take up your cross every day and you follow him. That you die to yourself 
and you live for Christ. You labor for his glory in these days that God gives you under the sun. Amen? Finally, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will, be, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Church, all that we do that honors the Lord is before his eyes. And he will reward us for our faithfulness. Christian, you make a great and lasting deposit in eternity when you do what honors God in the temporary. Do you know this? We must not lose sight of the long-term yield we earn. Long-term investments that give you great payouts in our flesh can be kind of difficult, right? You see the money going out and you don't see any of it coming back in the short term. But if you do that faithfully, it's, long, it's long-term yield is amazing. And this is so much bigger than modern-day economics, right? God's word is clear time and time again. Matthew 6, 19, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Lay up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or Matthew 19, 29, everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and children or lands for my sake will receive hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. For the treasure of all treasures is God himself. We say this again and again, we must not lose sight of that. The greatest aim of our hearts is life with God. But the scriptures speak of an eternal bank account, so to speak. Eternal prizes and rewards that for those of us who are good stewards will be given to enjoy forever. Do I want to spend all my money on the thing that's broken in two hours, or do I want to spend my money and effort on the thing that will last forever? If you want to pick the first one, don't say that out loud. (laughs) I'm actually excited to teach on this very area of eternal rewards in a few weeks as we conclude our second time through the catechism as we approach the finish here in just just weeks away so i won't go exhaustively into this now but i will say anyone who labors and at the same time belongs to jesus must see beyond whatever earthly compensation were earned This is not because the best aim of our labor is the temporary. We are here today and gone tomorrow. Can I just say it this way? The castles you're building and the stuff you're filling those castles with is all going to burn. No, we must see that what we sow in the temporary is producing a harvest that bears its fruit in eternity. Let us never lose sight of the fact that no matter your lot in this life, your assignment, your gift mix, your circumstances, we all stand at the same level at the foot of the cross. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, there is no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Our identity must not be our temporary earthly assignments, but our eternal eternal heavenly position 
which we have only because of Christ. It is not what we produce, good or bad, that gains us a seat at that eternal feast, but only what the Holy God has finished on our behalf by His grace, the work of His Son. Amen? Close your eyes with me for a moment and just consider these questions as we close. Christian, is your identity connected to your earthly lot or to your heavenly adoption? Are you aware that you might have an answer for that question that the pastor likes and then an answer as to how your life is actually lived out? So I ask it again. Is your identity connected to your earthly lot or your heavenly adoption? Is your joy connected to your earthly lot or your heavenly adoption? A second question, is Christ at work in and through you in heart and deed to honor the Lord in all you do, especially as you serve those who are over you? What confession of sin and repentance regarding these things are you needing to do business with today? Do not delay for the Lord has given you today to live for him, to make much of his name, and may not give you tomorrow. Finally, still with your eyes closed, if, if you are here today and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your first and most surely important order of business then is to do business with your standing before the Holy God. And the only way that you can have a relationship with him is to confess your sin die to self and trust your life to Jesus and there is no greater transformation you will ever know in this life than to give your life to Christ if you have questions about that it would be our greatest joy anyone here who you know leaders to talk these gospel realities out with you it's our deepest desire to see sinners saved by grace for the glory of God Pray with me. Father, I thank you for this day together in your word. What a sweet journey it has been to go slow through this letter that is just so rich, um, so much helpful truth that you ordained to use by the work of the Spirit to pierce us, to divide us, to expose us so that your molding hands go to work, that sanctification goes to work, that we don't remain as we are, but we are maturing, that there is real accountability and progress. All the different ways whereby we are maybe struggling with submitting to authority, I pray, Lord God, that we clearly see your call on us has much less to do with the quality of the leadership of that authority and much more to do with your command on us to obey them and to do that for you.
And to do that with a sincere heart, with fear and trembling, the gospel will be evident, the glory of the Lord will be made known, and you would be praised. Do your work through us, Lord, for the people of Disciples Church, for your glory, for our good, for you are worthy of it all, worthy of all of our lives. And so we lay him at your altar. We come to the cross and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray.